Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday evening, midweek. Everybody just take a second and take a really deep breath. That was more for me than for you guys because I'm always nervous whenever I come up here. This is a scary place for me. <laughs> Outside of my comfort zone, Pastor loves to challenge me to do this, and, uh, and I love it. I get the privilege of sharing what God's showed me through his word. It's, it's not that part. It's the, the part in the very book that we're going to be studying tonight, James, if you want to get ahead of the game, get, get in your Bible and get to the book of James. But he tells us that the, a teacher um, is under a stricter judgment. <laughs> so handling the word of God is not like teaching a, you know, a, a class where you're you know, teaching mathematics or something. You're, you're teaching God's word. And, and uh, I think every person that I know of that's ever taught God's word is, takes it very seriously. And if they don't, they're they're in the wrong place. <laughs> so um, I just, with that being said, um, as some of you may or may not know, Pastor Dennis is up in Prescott, kind of on a little getaway, uh, not really a, a vacation getaway, but more of a, a short sabbatical just to get away and seek the Lord. Um, when, as we read through the Gospels, we see that Jesus did that in several occasions where he went away to the mountain to be alone with the Lord and um, so I would encourage you guys uh, this week, I'm not sure how long he's staying up there, if he's going to come back tomorrow or um, Friday, but be praying for him that God would uh, give him wisdom as he, as he seeks the Lord's face, okay? Uh, so with that being said, let's, uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I just bless your name, Lord. We praise your name. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and praise as your word calls us to, and we ask, Lord, that that you would bless our time together tonight. I pray that, pray that you would renew our minds. Even tonight, you would rejuvenate our spirits as we gather together in the middle of the week. And we, during the week, Lord, with the, the things that you have called us to, whether it's occupation or um, whatever it is that you have us doing in our lives, Lord, we, we kind of get out in the world and we get worn down and sometimes the the world really takes a toll on us lord so on wednesdays it's nice to gather together with brothers and sisters that are like-minded so we can encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds and even when we do get a little bit weary lord we always can remember that your word tells us that stronger is he who's in us than he who's in this world lord as we um we know the end of the story we know the blessing the blessed hope that we have in your son we don't uh, mourn this world and the things of this world like like uh, unbelievers do we mourn with hope knowing that we are going to have eternity with you and we look forward to that so tonight as we open your word to um, the book of james chapter one lord i ask that you would just speak to us that i would step out of the way that even the things that, that you put on my heart as I prepared, Lord, if, if they're not of you, Lord, I pray that they would be set aside and you would, your spirit would be free to speak through me and to me, Lord. So I just lift up tonight to you. I ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So James chapter 1, we started a 
the last time that I taught on a Wednesday, which was, I think, clear back in March before the, <laughs> the pandemic broke out, um, before, well, at least before most of us knew what was coming, and we did an introduction to the book of James. And, and I'm looking at my notes here, and the date was March 9th when, uh, when I printed the, my notes. So it's kind of crazy because the scripture that we're going to get in tonight, to tonight is talking about considering it joy when you encounter various trials. <laughs> and I don't know about you guys, but we've, I think everybody has been encountering some kind of trials in, since March 9th, that's for sure. Um, so just a quick little review on, on um, the introduction to James. We kind of did the who, what, where, and why of the book of James, and the who is the author. You know, whenever, you're, whenever we're reading a book, whether it's in the Bible or another book, we kind of good idea to get to know who the author is, and um, we, d we discussed it at length, the different, we went and looked at all the different Jameses that we see in the New Testament, and we pointed out the reasons why most scholars believe that this particular James was the James, was James Jesus's brother. So Jesus's half-brother, right? So Jesus's father was the Holy Spirit, and James's father was Joseph. So Mary went on to have other kids, and we looked at their names, we looked at all that. I don't want to go back into it that deep, but just so we remember who wrote the book, we saw that in the book of Acts, James was part of the council at Jerusalem, and he was, he was a leader in the church. We, we saw that when James was younger, when Jesus' ministry was starting out, he didn't believe in Christ. He, you know, we looked at some different scriptures that, that pointed to that. And then we looked in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it, we saw the different people that Jesus appeared to. We, I call that the resurrection chapter, where we see that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. We see that he, how he appeared, all, and there was a personal appearance for him with him and James. So we don't, it doesn't say in that verse that that's where James accepted and believed in Christ. We don't know exactly when that happened, but as we read through the book of James, we have a pretty good understanding that he is a full-blown, sold-out believer in his brother. He calls himself a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ in the very first verse. So that's who wrote the book. That's who, who wrote the, let, not the letter that we're reading. The what, um, what he was writing about, the theme. Um, the theme was that framing this letter with an overall theme of um, patient perseverance during trials, temptations, James writes to encourage his readers to live consistently with what they have learned in Christ. He wants his readers to mature in their faith in Christ by living what they say they believe. So that's kind of a, a summary of what the theme of this book is. It's, it's practically walking out what God has sown into our lives, what, you know, we, what we say we believe. We're going to really look at that part of it in chapter 2. When was it written? 44 A.D. to 49 A.D. So it was, that makes it the very first... Um, book written in the New Testament and in the timelines that was the first book that was actually written from 44 sometime between 44 AD and 49 AD why was it written James writes this book to encourage readers to live consistently with what they have learned in Christ he wants his readers to mature in their faith in Christ by living what they say they believe um, so, so that's 
got us, when we did our introduction and we looked at a lot of those scriptures that I just kind of gl glanced over, um, we made it from the introduction and we got through verse 1. So here tonight we're going to start on verse 2 and I, we'd like to cover verses 2 through 8, all right? So I'm going to go ahead and read verses 2 through 8 for us so we can kind of get our feel for what we're doing here. I'm going to go ahead and include one, verse 1 as well. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he would receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Okay, so... Right off the bat, we talked about it last time. We talked about how uh, James is probably one of the most convicting books in the New Testament and how he, he doesn't mix any words, okay? So he starts out by, with this statement in verse 2 where he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So let me, let me water that down for us so we can, when we, when we hear it again, we can kind of get the full strength of it. So I'm going to change it. So you guys have heard of the Eugene Phillips um, paraphrase? This is the Roy Rose paraphrase. Okay. So instead of, instead of saying, instead of saying, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, we're going to say, um, consider it sometimes to be okay if you happen to come across a specific kind of trial. So what, what did I change? I, I changed everything because James doesn't give us any wiggle room on what he's what he's saying. Um, he James is telling us consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. That's the that's the section that I that I changed, and you know it would be nice if it wasn't. All trials, it would be nice if, it, if he said, like I did, I said, if you encounter trials. James doesn't assume that, uh, doesn't, doesn't say that you're, if you encounter a trial. It's when you encounter trials. And that, all of us here, I mean, raise your hand if you've encountered some kind of trial in your life. You know, we, there's no, nobody is exempt, right? Larry had two hands up, so he's got double trials. Um, nobody is exempt from these trials. So, um, what kind of trials are they? The, he, he calls them various trials. And, and, and I like how in the King James, in the New King James, he says, um, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And fall into them when you encounter them. You know, the, both of those kind of say, you know, things that come upon us, right? Things that, not, not things that, that we got ourselves into, although sometimes there are, that is the case. But James specifically is talking about the kind of trials that come at us um, as we walk through our life, okay? So the word uh, in Greek is pokilos, 
and the definition is an un, of uncertain derivation, so uh, not certain where it derived from, this trial. It, it calls it motley, various in character, diverse, manifold, in other words, all kinds of trials. So the various trials that he's talking about um, are all kinds of trials. I put down a loved one dies, your marriage is in trouble, going through a divorce, um, car accident, illness, loss of a job, addictions, and on and on. Things that come into our lives that are outside of our control and, things that, and also things that come into our lives that are a result of our life choices. Okay, how many of you struggle, you know, one of the things that I struggle with and, and I've talked to others that have is, you know, the, when, when you're in the middle of a trial or when a trial comes into your life and you look at it and go, if I would have done something different, if I would have, you know, it, it comes back to, you know, if I would have made different choices here and here and here, I wouldn't be in this trial, you know. So, you know, a lot of times as people, you know, we want to, you know, we, we want to take that on ourselves and we want to go, you know, it's, it's more frustrating because the trial was brought on ourselves, so we don't cope with it quite as well. And I thought about that, and I've um, I was praying about it, and it, God just revealed to me that you know what that boils down to is my own pride. If if you know, it's like you know I shouldn't have done. It's that mentality. I should have known better. I'm a better Christian than that. I shouldn't. And God's going, no, you're not. No, you're not. I know you. You're, you're not a better Christian than that. You're, you've, made, you've made these choices, and you're, and you're going to continue to make. You have no idea the choices you're going to make and the messes you're going to get yourself into. But the, the point of that is, you know, we, we have a tendency to think that we should have known better. We should have, you know, we should have done something different or whatever. And it comes down to our own pride that we, that we think we're not, not going to make those mistakes when we do, even, even when we're, you know, walking with the Lord, we're still going to make mistakes because the Bible tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is going to walk through this life perfectly. Well, there was one that walked through perfectly, and we know who, his name, right? All right. So, um, okay, so now we kind of have a working knowledge of what kind of trials or temptations James is, is speaking about. And, you know, it's life. Bad things happen in our life. And um, not necessarily, we're not, he's not necessarily talking about the sinful things that come with consequences, but the hard things that we encounter and endure pretty much on a daily basis. You know, the things that, that come into our lives, all right? So James is encouraging us to consider it all joy. So this is the, this is the part where, you know, a lot of us go, well, that is crazy to consider it all joy, you know, and it's like you, you can go around and be like, you know, the village idiot or whatever, whereas, you know, oh, look, our puppy just got run over by the neighbor's car. Praise the Lord. This is awesome, you know, and, you know, terrible things, terrible things happen in your life. And, you know, God's not telling, that's not what God's asking us to do. He's not asking us to rejoice when bad things happen. He's telling us to, that we can have joy, our joy in the Lord, despite of those things that are going on around us. We can, can, we can keep that joy in the Lord knowing that we can trust him, right? Um, he says, he's, he's telling us that, you know, our tendency, okay, this joy, I got lost in my notes, this joy comes only from knowing 
that God is on our side. Our tendency is to think that he, is, he might be upset with us or punishing us when trials come in or we go off track. I believe that if we are off track, the Lord can certainly use our circumstances to get our attention, but most of, most of these trials that we're talking about, he will use for his purpose, which is to bring himself glory. God's going to use our trials, the trials that he allows in our lives to bring himself glory because God doesn't waste pain. Um, we can see examples throughout the Bible. We can see in, in, the, in the life of King David, we have an example. In the life of Job, you know, they're two different characters and they had two different experiences with, with trials. You know, King David, think about his life. I mean, he, he kind of went from trial to trial but we know that the word of God calls him a man. He's a man after God's own heart. He, he loved the Lord. He wanted, to be, he wanted to be obedient. He did, and he was obedient. He was obedient to the things that God called him to, but he also made mistakes. You know, the, the first one that comes to all of our minds is, is Bathsheba. But, um, and you know, then we see after the, his incident with Bathsheba, which was a, you know, a marital affair and then a murder. And I mean, it was about as bad as it gets, right? But, you know, as you read Psalm 51, you can hear an account of David's repentance. And we see his repentance in the, in, um, the old, all through the Old Testament for his, his mistake, right? So we see his repentance. And then the Bible teaches us that, you know, when we repent, our sins are as far as the east is from the west. With, David was forgiven. And he went on to still do mighty things for God even after that. But, but that didn't change the fact that he still had trials. His family was a mess, a train wreck after that with his sons rebelling against him and um, you know, countless things. As we go through David's life, there was trial after trial. And, but he knew that God was on his side. Um, and then Job. Job was kind of a, a completely different character in the New Testament or in the Old Testament and Job was you know, he was by God's own lips he was a righteous man upstanding in all of his ways and Satan asked permission to sift Job and God allowed it and we saw you know Job's reaction was you know I we can do we take just blessings from God or do we take blessings and curses blessed be the name of the Lord you know so he he continued to praise the Lord even in the midst of the trials. Now, did he have his weak times where he questioned God and God had to rebuke him? Yes, you know, just like the rest of us do. So the trials that, uh, that both of these men had, you know, they, they both had that peace of knowing that God was on their side, okay? Think about... Um, What, da what David said in Psalm 139, at the end of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. David knew that there were, the trials were a part of life, but he also knew how to call on the Lord to help him to, and clearly lead him through those trials. So the Lord is, is helping David and Job through their trials, right? And as we read through the Old Testament, we see God's servants doing their best to walk right before God. 
albeit not perfectly, but their lives are full of trial after trial. Their first response might be to question the why, but eventually they come around to the what of the situation. And what I mean by that is all of our tendency is. When, when something bad happens, we're like, why? Why did this have to happen? Why, why am I going through this right now? And you know, that's you know, not a bad question. God's got broad shoulders. He can handle our questions. But the better question for us is what? what what's going on, Lord? What, is, what am I to be learning from this? What, what can I do in, um, by, what can I do that will help me to grow in my relationship with you through this trial? And we're going to look at that a little bit more about the purposes of the trial. But so we see, it's, it's so nice. I love the, the Bible and how all of the characters in the, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, God shows them to us with their, you know, their warts and wrinkles and all, everything, <laughs> nothing is hidden. It's the, the things that we see about them, it, it gives us hope because we know in our heart of hearts that we're not perfect. We're, we're flawed and broken people. And God wrote, you know, 40, 40 or 66 books by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. He wrote a book to us, a love letter to us that is full of our brothers and sisters and their successes and their failures. And he didn't hide any of it from us. I mean, King David, a man after God's own heart, and we just talked about, you know, his indiscretion. And it's like, okay, God, you know, we're, we're all kind of in the same boat looking to you for our strength, okay? So, the purpose, um, as we look at this verse, verse, um, go back to James, verse uh, 3, it says, consider, or verse 2 and 3, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So James gives us two things there in verse 2. He says, and the purpose of these trials is, is twofold. One, to, to test our faith, and the second part of it is to produce fruit, this, this spiritual fruit of patience or endurance, okay? Let's look at faith first. We're going to test our faith, and James, this book, James, is has a, a lot to say about the word faith. So I think from the get-go, we probably ought to get a good working knowledge of what kind of faith we're talking about, right? He uses the word a lot. So um, one of the things that I put in my notes is faith is, is only as good as the object of our faith. You know, and we put faith in things every day. You guys all came in here, you saw these chairs, and you, you know, they look like they're designed to sit on. They look, they've got four legs, they look like they're strong enough to hold a body. So we sat down by faith, we sat down, and the chair didn't collapse. And, and life is good, right? We, we, we do things by faith every day. We, you know, we put our faith in our car. We get in our car and we you know, have faith that it's going to start and it's going to get us to work, right? We put faith in the other drivers on the road that they're not going to come across the lanes and, and run into us head on. You know, there's just things that we, you know, if we didn't have faith in you know, organization and things around us, we would you know, we, would, we would stay in our rooms in, in fear all the time, right? So we exercise faith every day. You know, we walk into a building, we trust that it's not going to collapse on us. Um, when, you know, we, like I said, faith is, is as good as the object that you put in. I remember 
as I was preparing this, I was thinking about different things that we put our trust in. And when I was uh, probably 12 years old, I took a, an NRA gun safety class. And you know, there's certain things that adults say to you when you're a kid that stick with you for the rest of your life. And we were talking about the safety mechanism on these rifles. We were shooting 22s, or we were talking about shooting 22s. And um, he's, the, the instructor said, you know, no matter what, you never put your finger on the trigger until you're pointed at your target and you're ready to go. You never put your finger in the cage. And, and one of the kids was like, well, you know, why? The safety, the safety said. And he just simply said, you know, the, the safety is a mechanical mechanism that was built by a person that has, it, has the propensity to fail. So you want to trust your life or your friend's life to that mechanical, that little mechanical device. You know, what if, what if the guy, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking, you know, what if, it, what if that gun was assembled on a Monday at the plant, you know, and the guys had a picnic on Sunday and they were all hung over and they weren't paying attention to what they were doing, you know, you'd go through all these scenarios. But, uh, you know, that we're putting our, you know, we put our faith in all kinds of things as people. And like I said, getting back to it, faith is only, only as good as the object that we put it in. So the things of this world, material things, um, they, can, they can easily fail, okay? Um, people can also let us down. We put our faith in people. If that's where we're putting our faith, how many, how many of people do you guys know that have a story where they walked away from church because somebody in, they saw hypocrisy in the church? You know, the, I can't tell you the amount of people that I've talked to over the years that say, yeah, I used to go to church, but I, you know, I saw the hypocrisy, I saw this, I saw that, and, like, you know, and they use that as an excuse to, to not go to church, and it stunts their, their growth in the Lord, right? So putting our faith in people is risky. You know, my dad was one of those. He was, he, he was a young man. Um, his dad was, his grandpa actually was a barber, in Tucson, and he was very involved in the church. He was an elder in the church, and he was, he was you know, take, took the kids, took my dad to church when he was a kid. My dad actually prayed to receive Christ when he was a little kid, but the story doesn't end there because, you know, one of the things he told me, and there may have been more reasons than this, but my dad, my, my grandpa that was a, his grandpa that was a barber was like the, you know, the nicest guy in the world, and people took advantage of him, and he he would, um, he had a guy that was going to the church that was a mechanic. Well, when my dad got older, he became a mechanic. And he saw that this guy was not charging my dad fairly, and he was, you know, this guy's, you know, brother so-and-so on Sunday, and then he's cheating him on Monday. And that turned my dad off, and he used that, you know, he used that as an excuse to not go to church. And, um, and I look back at that, and I'm like, that's, you know, there's all kinds of problems there. But one of the the problems is that we put our faith in in people. I think uh, we did a men's retreat. It was several, probably four or five years ago. It was longer than that, maybe six, seven years ago, when we went to Flagstaff, and uh, Pastor Chris Ward from Calvary Chapel Maricopa came out, and he made a statement that stuck with me about that his dad had told him about you know if we if we judge the Lord by the people that serve Him, we are always going to be disappointed. And, you know, people fail. People fail. So there's, there's, it's shaky ground for us to put our trust in things of this world, material things, or in people. So, so faith is only as good as the object that we put it in. You guys can kind of see 
where we're going with this. Um, I got lost in my notes here. And even Jesus, um, when he was ministering during his incarnation, he, he struggled with putting his trust in people. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus, um, John states that Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all men. Um, and in verse 25, it says, it says, because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So in short, the things of this world are not the best objects of our faith. Okay? Um, the only object of our faith that has stood the test of time and, and human scrutiny is God and his word. So when I say God, I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the word, the Bible. Those, you know, first and foremost, God and then his word. Those, these are the things that we can put our faith in. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 11 says, um, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And that's the Apostle Paul quoting Isaiah 28, 16. So I'll read it again. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That's Romans 10, 11. And then in Matthew 24, 34, Jesus himself says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things. Oh, I printed out the wrong verse. It's the verse after that that says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. That's, uh, and that was Jesus' words. Um, faith, our faith is, you know, so for a good definition, I got this definition from Pastor James, Do James not James Dobson, James McDonald, who is a um, pastor teacher on the radio, he, uh, he asked his elders one time to come up with a, a, a definition of faith that they could put on, on their church walls. And this was the definition that they came up with. Faith is believing the word of God and acting on it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. And we can look at Romans 8.28 to confirm that, because all things work together for the good of those who are called and all things work together for the those for the good of those who are called what's the rest of it according to his purpose right right very good and um when i was typing that out earlier today the the hymn came to my mind that we sing sometimes on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand and you know that's the the long and short of it our faith is only as good as the object that we put it in, which is Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in him, then we're standing on the solid rock. Okay, so this is the faith that's being tested. Why? Why is this faith being tested? So when we go back to James and we say we're testing, you know, knowing that the testing of your faith, consider it all joy when you encounter these trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance okay so why is this faith being tested well it's not because god wants our faith to fail you know he's on our side he's 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 our our biggest fan you know he he loves us he created us for a purpose and he wants us to succeed and i was reading something by chuck smith and he was 
comparing that idea to the engineers that were designing the space shuttle. You guys remember, those of us who are older, we remember one of the first big issues they had with the space shuttle was the, the tiles that they put on the bottom of it for re-entry, you know, the, the heat shield. They, they were trying to design them and, you know, obviously the engineer's goal was that those tiles would succeed and the astronauts would survive the re-entry and they, they wouldn't, the tiles wouldn't burn up. So it's kind of a picture of, of God with us. He, he loves us and he wants us to succeed. And the trials that he allows in our lives are not to, to break us, they're to strengthen us. They're, um, and the testing that he allows is, you know, the, the tile analogy is not a perfect analogy because the engineers will ho were hopeful that the tiles would hold up, but they didn't have any idea. But God already knows whether or not we're gonna hold up, you know, so he, he's, God's in control, he's sovereign in the trial, and he knows how it's gonna come out, right? Um, uh, he knows whether or not we're gonna stand the test. And I, one of the references that I thought of as I was reading this, you know, if you go way back to Genesis, um, you know, we had right after Adam and Eve, we have Abel and Cain, right? Or Cain and Abel. And, you know, when, when Abel and Cain brought their sacrifices to the Lord, um, Cain's was, was rejected and he was angry. And his response was, you know, he, he was upset with the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, he said, why are you, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And I love what, he's, what the Lord says to him in verse 7. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So right away, we see God's heart for Cain that, you know, if you can turn this around, you know, you, you have a choice. You, you don't have to, you don't have to be angry about this. You don't have to be, you know, outside of, of my will about this. He, God wanted what's, what was best for him. Um, so these tests are, are more for us. The trials, these trials have the poten potential to show exactly what we're trusting in God or ourselves. There was a, uh, um, Baptist pastor, his name was Adrian Rogers, and he, he said it like this. He said, uh, you know, if you want to see what's inside of a person, just shake them up and see what comes out. You know, I think a lot of times that's what trials do. They shake us up, and what comes out is a temper tantrum or, you know, or, or patience, you know. <laughs> More often than not, it's a temper tantrum. But, uh, you know, it's that, that's that growing process. That's what we're, we're going to look at that a little bit more as we get into the next section here, you know, so that, that kind of looks at the two, we, we called it a twofold purpose. The first per part was to test our faith. The second part was to produce endurance. And some of your Bibles will say patience, if you have a King James. And in the New American Standards, it says endurance. And as I looked up the words, um, the, the Greek word for that one was hupomone. It's hupomone, and the definition is a cheerful or hopeful endurance, a consistent, a constancy, enduring, patience, patient continuance, or waiting. That's what, that's what the Greek, the original Greek word for that is. 
Now, in that, you know, the way that we can see it in our minds is, you know, there, there's the waiting where you're waiting in the dentist office and you're, you're basically idle, you're not doing anything, you're, you're maybe reading a magazine, but you're not doing anything productive. And the endurance is more like the, the waiting in a marathon. As you're running a marathon and you're getting closer to the end, you're enduring. You're not, you're not um, you know, you're not idly sitting by. We're, as, as believers, the endurance that God's building into us is not, you know, go wait in the corner until my second coming. You know, that's not what <laughs> he wants us to, you know, go out and, and make disciples and, and bring people to the Lord. You know, so it's not, a, it's not an idle waiting that or patience that we're that we're talking about um so this uh, patience is a fruit of the spirit that the lord develops in us so we can be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and unless if we look go back to james and it says um Knowing that the testing of your faith, verse 3, produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, so in verse 4, he, he goes on to, to add to it by saying that we, we can be, you know, the purpose of this endurance and this patience is so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's not saying that we're going to be perfect because we already established that we're not perfect. We all fall short of the perfect um, will of God but um, what he is establishing is that it that we will be maturing we will be you know mature Christians in Christ we're not going to be stagnant in our in our walk with the Lord because we're willing to look at these trials as opportunities to glorify God and we look at and there's benefit in the trials okay um so how are we doing on? All right. Um so in verse 6 I'm sorry, not verse 6. The end of verse 4. Let's look at verse 5. So it kind of it kind of appears that James is is changing the subject or switching gears here, but it does tie together. Verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That man ought not to expect that he would receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man in all of his ways. He says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, so now he's adding a different aspect, and it's not just any wisdom. If, if we look at it in the context of where it's being spoken, it's wisdom to navigate the trials. You know, the trials, James isn't changing subjects. He's giving us more tools to put in our tool belt. He's saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, you must um, ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach. So the wisdom that we need is to navigate the trials. And we looked at that, and then he goes right back to... Um, faith but he must ask in faith in verse 6 okay so this you know we've already discussed our definition of faith and what what kind of faith um, James is talking to us about so it kind of comes full circle and brings it back to where you know where so 
we did answer what kind of faith, but my next question for us is where does that faith come from? You know, do we, you know, do we go home and go in our prayer closet and, you know, pull up our bootstraps and say, okay, I'm going to generate some faith. You know, <laughs> I'm going to build my faith today, you know, and um, we, there's, you know, that's, that's kind of the ironic part of, of our faith. If you think about, most of you guys probably have this scripture memorized, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the free gift of God so that no one can boast. So, wait a minute, faith is a free gift from God? So, we, we can get this free gift from God, right? Okay, well, all right, so we, we all get, we can get it by believing God, faith and believing God. We, I mean, we can receive this free gift if we believe that it's available to us. Um, so, how do, we, how do we receive it? Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have, we see, we get it from God as a free gift, but it comes through hearing the word of God, through hearing the word of God, okay? That, you know, um, so that's what's so awesome about God. He never asks us to do something that he's not willing to give us the, everything we need to do it. He's going to give us the faith for free, and all he's saying is that we receive it through his word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And there's a couple other scriptures that came to mind that we can use to, to remind us that, that our faith can be cultivated in the word of God. Psalm 37, verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Right there, the psalmist tells us we can cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If it's our desire to be faithful to God, he will allow us to cultivate that faithfulness in his word. And then Romans 12, chapter 2, very popular verse. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewing our mind. We can renew our mind in God's word. The way that we can um, navigate trials is by faith. He's, the wisdom that God's talking about, in, that James is telling us about, is by faith. When we're renewing our mind, when we're cultivating our faith, when we're drawing near to God, he's even going to tell us later on in verse chapter 4 of James that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And that's where our power is. There is no power in ourselves to do any of this. God's, God's going to give us exactly what we need as we trust in him and walk in obedience. And so um, that is... That's where the wisdom that we need is going to be found is in our relationship with Christ, in our cultivating the faithfulness by being in God's word and by the best of our, to the best of our ability, being faithful to God's word, okay? One last thing, in closing, I found, turn to Psalm 34 in your Bible, and I just want to close with this. Um, we talked about the trials, and we talked about the reason for the trial, the reasons for the trials, and this is this is something that I I came across as I was studying this week, and the Lord really ministered to me through it. So I wanted to put it at the end in closing, so that so that you guys could have it in your mind um, 
as you as you go home tonight psalm 34 verse 17 says the righteous cry and the lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles verse 18 says the lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him out of them all if you look at 17 and 19 it's talking about the righteous believers crying out to the Lord and him delivering them from their troubles, from their trials, right? What we've been talking about, verse 19 says, many are the trials or afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out. But I love where the, where the, the nugget of, of blessing that, I, that the Lord ministered to me was in verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That word near. You know, the, one of the, the blessings, the biggest blessings of trials is that nearness of God that we experience in the midst of a trial. And the deeper the trial, the more real that nearness is. And some of you guys, as I look around, I see you nodding and, and agreement that you've been there. You know, Natalie and I, we've been together basically all of our lives, and we've had two that came to mind as I was preparing this two times where God was so near in the midst of a, of a tragedy or a, a really tough trial. Um, 2000, in 2002, Natalie's little sister was killed, tragically killed in a, in a um, car accident. And, you know, we were at the point in the hospital where it was time for us, us as a family. You know, and we all grew up together, Natalie and I and her sister. So she was like a little sister to me too. And Natalie and I, I was, a new a newer believer at that time but um walking with the lord and i remember you know just how real god was at that time and natalie she said it before um that you know she when when it was at that point where we were trying to make that decision god was scary and he was very very real and very very near and and uh, you are you know our relationship with him changed at that point hers did and mine did and it was it was a growth it was like a little growth spurt for both of us and you know all things Rome we go back to Romans 8 20 all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose and Jennifer's with God she knew the Lord she is Natalie's little sister is with the Lord you know he took her young but his ways are higher than our ways and glory be to God right and then the second one was just a couple of years ago when Xander was two years old and he had uh, a seizure, a really bad seizure. And he's, you know, my two-year-old grandson is on the kitchen floor um, seizing for 11 minutes. And we don't know, you know, it, it didn't look good. And the 911 was taking a long time to get there. And, you know, we were, we were all on our knees just praying over him because we had, there was nothing we could do. There was, you know, we, we none of us, had any kind of medical training in that at all so we just you know we're talking to 911 they told us basically what we could do to get him ready for them and it was scary and God was real I mean he was he was real like he hadn't been in a long time because of that trial so when when you're going through a trial um, don't don't shake your fist at God and get mad at him trust him that he's got your back okay and I'm a little over time so or I'm right on time. So let's pray. 
Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you for tonight, Lord. I thank you for each person that's here tonight. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would take your word, Lord, as we look at uh, this passage of scripture and we think about joy in the midst of trials. Lord, you are our joy. Apart from you, we have no joy. There's, there's nothing in this world that can bring your kids joy except knowing that we are protected and loved and blessed by you. So tonight, as we go home, I pray that you would encourage each one of us in our spirit to just lean on you. In the midst of the trials, Lord, we have an anchor that holds. Lord, you are the anchor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.